Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? If you are ever called upon to testify in court as a witness, you'll place your hand on the Bible, and you will have to give that solemn oath. It's a big deal. We count on witnesses to tell the truth about the things that they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced. Often, a case hinges completely on the testimony of that witness. It's a big, big deal. And despite the fact that, that the witness is under oath, sometimes people lie. Sometimes uh, maybe they have their own reasons. They think people can't handle the truth. Let's put that image up there. Maybe you don't know what movie this is from, but who's ever seen like a meme of Jack? This is Jack Nicholson um, yelling, you can't handle the truth. We think that. Now, maybe you've never been in court. Maybe you've never had to testify under oath. But we think that the people in our lives can't handle the truth. I'll prove it to you. We tell what we call little white lies, right? Like nobody's getting hurt. We're just telling a little white lie. Here's one of the more stereotypical ones. Does this outfit make me look fat? Please don't answer that. I already know the answer, okay? Uh, if you're ever asked that, I know the stereotype is a, is a young lady asking a young man that. Young men, if you're ever asked that question, you remember a couple weeks ago how we talked about just, just run out of the room? That's the time, okay? Run away. There's, it's not a win. Uh, but we lie. Yeah, you look great. Y'all look great. I'll give you a couple more. Wow, this food looks delicious. Thanks so much. Whoever has told that white lie? Anybody? Like you're at a friend's house or you're at grandma's house. You're like, yum, my favorite. And really you're thinking, how much of this can I stick in my napkin? Is there a dog somewhere that could possibly come in here and eat this because this really looks like dog food more than human food? I don't want this. I've been there, okay? I, my pro tip that I used to do was I would stuff as much as I could in my napkin, excuse myself to go to the restroom, flush it, come back, and then I got more room in my napkin. You're welcome, okay? Full service ministry, we're here for you. But we'll lie. Mmm, it was so good. You'll just kind of move the food around on the plate, you know, like that makes it seem like you ate more. Or we'll do this one, and this one hits close to home because I have two young children. Wow, what a cute baby. And some of y'all are like, ooh, cringe, right? But I'm going to say what maybe you won't. Not all babies are that cute. Sometimes they look like little smushed up aliens. They just do. I say that as a parent of kids who at one point had big googly eyes. They were not the most photogenic. But you would never say that to someone's face. Oh, your kid's so cute. We lie. And we rationalize it because we go, I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. They can't handle this truth. So we just, we just say it. It's not a big deal, right? I think it kind of is. Because I think if you look at our society, we've got an increasingly distant relationship with truth. Truth has become relative. Relativism is on the rise. And if you're like, what does that even mean? It means this. Hey, what's true for you is true for you. And what's true for me is true for me. So you do your thing. I'll do my thing. I won't interfere with you. You won't interfere with me. We're both just going to live our truths. You guys ever hear somebody say that? I'm just living my truth. I'm just speaking my truth. Here's the problem with that. If my truth is in direct conflict with your truth, they can't both be true. Like there are some things in life that are objectively verifiable 
truth. And there are some things that are not. And they're not dependent on whether you believe them to be true. So I'll give you an example. If you were to go upstairs and take a step off the edge of this building, you can sing R. Kelly's I Believe I Can Fly at the top of your lungs and be perfectly on pitch and on key. And you know what's going to happen to you? Gravity is going to snatch you at 9.8 meters per second squared and pull you back to the earth. Be impressed by my physics knowledge. That's literally the only thing I remember from high school physics. Gravity's undefeated. That's just how it works. Well, I believe that I can, but you can't because that's not how it works. Gravity is a truth. It's not relative. It's objective. And what we see in religion and world religions is people go, well, but you can just follow your path to God. I'll follow my path to God. What's the big deal? Like, so long as I'm faithful, so long as I'm genuine, so long as I'm honest and sincere and following the God of this religion and you follow the God of the Bible, like, we'll both end up in the same place. That sounds really good. It's just not true. That is not what the Bible teaches. Look with me, if you will, at John 14. We'll put it on the screen for you. John 14. Jesus said this, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, Kevin, that seems kind of exclusive. It seems like it might hurt somebody's feelings. Yeah. There is one way to salvation. There's one way to the Father, and it's through Jesus. He says, I am the way, not one of many. I'm not one choice. It's not a multiple choice thing. Now, here's my question for you. Don't answer this out, but I want you to really think on this. Do you believe what Jesus is saying here? Do you really believe that he's the only way? Because if you do, it should change a lot about how we live our lives, and it should change how we think about sharing Christ with others. I think a lot of times we just go, well, I'll deal with that when I'm older. Like, I don't have to worry about death or what comes after that. And I'm saying to you, you're not promised tomorrow. I'm also saying to you, you have friends and family who don't know Jesus and you've shied away from sharing the gospel with them because you're like, ah, it doesn't really seem like that's my thing. I don't want to hurt their feelings. If we really believe that Jesus is the only way and we see people who don't know him, it falls to us, Christian brothers and sisters, to tell them, to share, to testify. And we've got a theme verse for this series. You might want to jot this down if you're a note taker. 1 Peter 3.15. You will hear this verse read the next three weeks. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So you worship Christ. He's the Lord of your life. If somebody asks you, about your hope as a believer, you have to be willing and able and ready in that moment to share about it. See, it's not enough to just say, I believe in Jesus. Like, we feel pretty good about that, and if that's what you would say, I go, man, that's, that's great. But you're a high school student now, so let me push on you just a minute and say that James 2.19 tells us even demons believe in Jesus. Like, they believe he exists. They know who he is. So that's not quite enough. Like, what do you mean when you say you believe in Jesus? And I, I want to ask you two questions. Do you believe he is who he says he is? Like, if we go back to that John 14, 6, like, do you believe Jesus actually is who he says he is? 
Why? Why do you believe that? What have you seen, heard, experienced, witnessed that has led you to believe that? If I called you, yeah, you up on this stage right now and say, hey, tell us why you believe what you believe. Don't just tell us, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. It's great. What do you believe about him? Why do you believe that? Are you confident in the hope that you've placed in him? Confident enough to tell someone else about it? Confident enough to testify? I know that's kind of an old school, old-timey religion term, but it's something we are called to do. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, Kevin, it seems like that's something you're supposed to do, and you're just trying to get me to do your job because you're really lazy. All right, I am kind of lazy sometimes, but that's not what's happening here. If you follow Jesus, you have a responsibility. You have been called, you have been commissioned to share about Jesus, all of us. Let's look at 1 Peter 2, 9. We'll just go back over a chapter if you've got your own Bible open or if you're scrolling, 1 Peter 2, 9. I think we'll put it up on the screen. I'll read it to you as it's coming up. Uh, It says, you are not like that for you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. He called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. It's not a job left to professional Christians, quote-unquote missionaries or pastors. If you know Jesus, you're supposed to talk about him and tell others about him. Charles Spurgeon, one of the most famous preachers who ever lived, was preaching one time, and he said this, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. So you don't have to go to some third world country. You don't have to stand in a pulpit and preach or on a small stage with a silver table. You're a missionary. You're called, if you know Jesus, to tell people about him. Acts 1.8 says that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll go be a witness all around the world. Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, Jesus says, go make disciples and teach them to obey everything that I taught you. Well, you can't do that if you don't know it yourself. You have been called. And maybe I've got you convinced. You're like, okay, cool. I, I, I'm believing what you're saying, but what am I even supposed to say? Like, how do I testify? What does that even mean? I'm glad you asked. Thanks for playing along. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. We're going to look at literally the entire chapter. So if you've got a Bible or if you've got uh, a Bible to scroll, that's the way to do this tonight. Uh, We won't put all of it on the screen. We'll put one or two verses up. We're going to be in John chapter 9. And uh, here's what we'll do because there are 40 some odd verses. We'll read part of it. We'll summarize some of it. We'll kind of walk through it together. In John chapter 9, I'm going to summarize the first five verses uh, just as you're turning there, scrolling there. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are walking along. They see a man who was born blind. And the disciples ask Jesus, why was he born blind? This is another way of asking that question we always ask. Why did these bad things happen? But they ask him, Jesus, is it because he sinned or is it because his parents sinned? They believed anytime anything bad happened to anybody, somebody had to have sinned. Like bad things were a direct result in their theology of bad actions. And Jesus says neither. His parents weren't especially guilty of sin. It wasn't some especially heinous thing that he did. He was born blind that my power might be demonstrated in his life. And so we, we pick it up in uh, verse 6. And this is, I read this part because it's super interesting to me. Then he, Jesus, spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, 
Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Uh, I think this is super interesting because Jesus could have healed him with a word from a distance and instead he chose to make mud and spread it on this man's eyes. And not only did he make mud, like he didn't just like pull out his Nalgene, pour some water on the ground. He spit on the ground. I'm just... We, we don't have to be, like, super holy and sanctified for a minute. That's kind of gross. Like, I'm, I'm just making the point. It's gross. And yet, Jesus makes mud, spreads it on his eyes, tells him, go wash it off, and he's healed. This man can now see. This is pretty incredible. Let's keep reading uh, in verses 8 through 12. It says, His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I'm the same one. And they asked, who healed you? What happened? And he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. People are so startled and stunned by what's happened in this man's life that they don't even believe it's the same guy. They're like, hey, isn't this the guy that I always used to see at the top of the interstate and it's super awkward because, of course, the light's red and now he's right beside my car. Isn't it that guy? Is this the same guy? Is this the same guy who's always under the bridge downtown? I'm just trying to walk with my friends down by the river, but there's this person. Now I feel awkward. I don't know what to do. Imagine seeing that person. We've all seen that person. And you just see them like in normal life. You're like, is that the same person? He's like, yeah, it's me. I'm that person who was blind. I used to have to sit out here with a sign someone wrote for me with a bowl begging that someone would help me. It's me. I can see now. And it says people don't even believe it. They're like, no, that can't be you. You just must look like that guy. It's, it's widely divisive. Is it him? Is it not him? So what happens is the Pharisees get involved. They typically do. The Pharisees were the religious people of that day. And so uh, he gets brought to the Pharisees and they're like, hey, something has happened to this guy. Like, we're not sure if it's really him, but he says it's him. And so they interview him and they ask him and he tells them again, Jesus came along. You guys have heard of Jesus. He spit in some mud and rubbed it on my eyes. And now I can see You get down to verse 16. Let's read that part. Some of the Pharisees said, This man Jesus is not from God, for he's working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was deep division of opinion even among them. So these very religious people are upset because Jesus has healed this man on the Sabbath. And there was always a ton of argument about what could you really do on the Sabbath? You weren't supposed to work. So... Jesus, in spitting into the mud, rubbing it on this man's eye, they're now thinking, well, he's worked, and so that, that's not right. He's broken God's law, so he can't have really be from God. But some of them, on the other hand, are saying, well, but this guy was blind, and now he can see. We can't deny that something miraculous has happened here. And so they're living in this tension of, we don't like when he did it, how he did this, but we can't deny that something has happened. And so even among the religious elite, there's, there's division. They don't know what to think. And so they ask this man his opinion. Verse 17, they said, well, what do you think? And he's like, I think he must be a prophet. And they don't like that. They're like, no, that can't be it. There's no way that this man is a prophet. So look at verse 18. They still refused to believe the man had been blind and now could see. So they call in his parents. 
So first the crowd didn't believe, and then the Pharisees were like, well, maybe, but then they didn't like his answer. So now they're like, mom and dad, you got to come and tell us, is this in fact your son? Because he claims he is, and he used to be blind, but now he can see, and we just don't know if we really believe it. We don't like this Jesus guy who allegedly healed him. Is this your son? What do you think? And the mom and the dad, if you keep reading there in the text, they're terrified. They're like, they don't want to make the religious elite upset. And so they say, well, this definitely is our son. Like, we'll claim him. That's good. I hope all of us would feel good about our parents claiming us in public. Uh, but they're like, we, we're not going to say anything about what happened. You should ask him. Like, he's grown. Ask him. And so they bring the guy back again. And they're like, listen, man, we're just trying to get to the bottom of this. Your parents are saying you're the same guy. You're saying you're the same guy. Like, we're acknowledging something has happened here. But God should get the glory for this, not Jesus, because we don't like Jesus. We think he's a sinner. Now, look at verse 24 and 25. This is huge. Verse 25 actually says, I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. Why do I tell you this story? This is not a man who was especially well-trained. He didn't have an overflowing well of biblical knowledge. He had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And he keeps being questioned about it and questioned about it to the point where people don't even believe he's the same person. My gosh, what an honor to be so transformed by Christ that people barely even recognize you. But in the end, when he's pushed to the limit, he says, guys, listen, there's a lot I don't know about this Jesus. I don't know if he's a sinner. I know that's what you're saying. I don't know why he chose to spit in the mud and rub it on my face. Seems like he probably could have done that a little more hygienic. But what I do know is I was blind. Now I can see. I know what I was like before Jesus came into my life, and I know how he's transformed me since. Ooh, they didn't like that. They toss him out. And Jesus eventually comes and, and talks with this man and says, do you want to follow the Son of Man? Do you want to follow the way? And he's like, yeah, Absolutely. But I, he even tells Jesus, I still don't fully understand. And Jesus says, you've met me, and now you're started on this path. This man knew who he was before he met Christ, and he knew how he changed him. So, to go all the way back to what I asked you, if you're supposed to tell, what do you tell? Like, how many Bible verses should you have memorized? How many times had, must you have read through the Bible in a year? How many times must you have come to youth group to be able to tell somebody about Christ? All of those things are great. None of those things are requirements. You just tell your story. Who you were before Jesus, how he transformed your life. I was blind, now I can see. You don't have to know it all. You don't have to have it all figured out because if you wait to figure it all out to talk about Jesus, you'll never talk about Jesus. I've been following Jesus for almost half of my life. I have worked in full-time vocational church ministry for 16 years. And there's still stuff I don't know about Jesus. Still things I don't fully understand. Still stuff that I sit with my friends and go, man, I, I don't know what to do with this. But I know from my life who I was and who I am now. And I look back and I don't even recognize who I was. So I do kind of understand these people going, no, there's something different. You've encountered Christ and there's just something, something seems off, something seems different about you. Glory to God when he transforms you into a new creation. Here's the bottom line. Our world is full of brokenness and divisiveness and it feels like in our society, like we're more fractured than we've ever been. 
And I'm telling you, there are people in our world who are searching for something they don't even know what they're looking for. There are people who are looking for some kind of order in the midst of the chaos for some kind of meaning in all of the meaninglessness. And if you go all the way back to what Jesus said at the beginning, he is the way, the only way. He is the ultimate truth. He's the source of life. And if there's somebody in your life who doesn't realize that and you're just going to let them go through life and not tell them, you really feel okay about that? Look with me at what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. We'll put this on the screen for you. Kind of a lot here, but I want you to see it all. Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell without first being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful the feet of those who bring good news. Christian brother, Christian sister, you have been called and commissioned to go. There are people in your life who need to hear about Jesus. And if you don't tell them, who will? Well, Kevin, can't you just tell them? Sure. I will always make this deal with you. If you've got some in your life, you're like, man, it feels like they're far from Jesus and I want them to hear about Jesus, bring them. Whoever's on this stage, me, Rob Z, Jacob, they're going to hear about Jesus from us. I promise you that. But here's what else I can promise you. It's going to mean a lot more coming from you than it will from me. I'm just some guy. But you might be their best friend who's walked through heartbreak and tragedy and the ups and downs of life alongside them. Who in your life needs to hear about Jesus? And why haven't you told them? Hey, maybe it's you. Maybe you're the one tonight who just needs to understand. Jesus loves you. He willingly sacrificed his life to pay the debt that you owed. Like that's what I stand here and testify before you. Jesus Christ willingly gave himself for you and he loves you. Oh, but what about all that stuff I've done wrong? He knows and he still loves you. He still wants a relationship with you. And for your family members who are far from Christ, for your friends, for your neighbors, he loves them too and wants a relationship with them. But he chooses for whatever reason to work through us. So tonight's the night to commit to testifying, to commit to telling people about Jesus. And again, you don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to know how he's changed your life. You start there. What if they ask me something I don't know the answer to? That's okay. Hey, I don't know. But here's what I do know. I don't know about, but I do know this. The band's going to play a song. I'm going to pray. And I just want to invite you uh, to do a couple things. If, if you know you're far from Christ, let this be a time where you talk to him. If you've got questions, just ask him. He, he's big enough to handle your questions. Christian brother or sister, if you've got something that's a roadblock that's preventing you from taking those steps of obedience to share Christ, because let's be honest, this is hard to do when we're living in sin. Maybe there's something you need to confess tonight. Do business with the Holy Spirit. That's great too. Do that. But maybe there's somebody that God wants to place on your heart and in your mind. You can just see a picture of them so clearly when you close your eyes. And that's who God wants you to testify to, to talk to, to just have a Christ-centered conversation with. Would you pray for that person? Would you pray for courage? Would you use this time however God leads you? Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for coming into this world. Thank you for sacrificing yourself 
that we could live. We confess we don't understand everything about you, about your word. Help us to remember who we were and how you have transformed us, God, for the one or two or ten who are here tonight who have not had an encounter with you, who have not surrendered to your lordship, submitted to your authority. I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to stir within them. God, I pray for any of us who are making excuses, who are just willfully not walking in obedience to testify, God, would you just break down those barriers? Would you bring to our mind's eye friends, family members, loved ones that we can share your love with? You're the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. Help us to live that out. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.